0: Hi, my name is Mattia Murray and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on the longer road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome again to my guest, Caitlin Fisher, one of the coolest people on the internet. <laughs> What? I feel special. Awesome. Coach and artist. And I wanted to talk today specifically about some of the ADHD stuff because we've both been talking about it publicly. And then also we're both working artists and you literally have a program with working in the title, working title. Yeah. <laughs> for writing a book, which I'm like on the wait list for and get the getting the emails about. And I am Going to talk more about that later. But yeah, anything top of mind for you? Today, I've been
1: thinking about how we talk about and measure like competence. And I don't have a fully formed thought about it yet. So we can just vibe. (laughs) And this came up because I I randomly remembered that the first time I got engaged and I was age 20 and I don't recommend don't recommend that early life kids. (laughs) Don't do it, kids. My mom made this like 150 question quiz that she made me and my fiance like fill out. And it was questions like, how do you get red wine out of a white tablecloth? Do you know how to iron a shirt? And as I'm reflecting on this today, I don't know what sparked it for me, but it just popped into my head. And I was like, my mother is neurotypical as fuck. <laughs> like, that, that is not an obvious I just assumed autistic. they were going to be
0: questions about, like, I don't know, you're fit for like each other. my values and if we yes. want
1: children and things like that. <laughs> Those were probably in there. But the ones that stood out were her being like, do you know how to wash a tablecloth with wine on it? And my oh response my was, I would Google it. Or if I irreparably wine stained my tablecloth, which I wouldn't be using because I am not of the tablecloth generation, I would probably paint a mural on it and put it up as wall art. And none of these things were acceptable to my mother. I think she's like, no, you're supposed to pour table salt on it. I don't know. I still don't know how to get red wine out of a thing. But those were like her judgments of competence to like be an adult. Mm-hmm. And so I think my my halfway formed thought is that I think it's competent to be able to Google something and figure it out, mm. which is something that millennials have that I think boomers lack. Boomers are like, well, I don't know how to operate Microsoft Excel fix it millennial. And the millennial goes and Googles how to do it and then fixes it. And the boomer thinks that the millennial is a wizard, right? No, we just know what we don't know and how to find it. And I think that is dope. First of all, props to the internet for existing, but I don't know. Is that a neurodivergent ADHD thing where we're like, I don't know, I'll just go find out.
0: I also, the other thing that made me think of is uh, AI, and I truly don't want to go fully down the AI rabbit hole because that's a whole, like, we could literally talk about that the whole time. But I do imagine that in various ways, like, part of what our work is going to become is learning how to work with, tool, you know, integrated tools of some kind that are doing some of those things, right? So not us remembering all of those things. And I mean, for myself, like, as a very silly example, because I was homeschooled in a, a very aggressively slipshod way, I never learned grammar like at all, at all. Um, And nor did I formally learn spelling, but I read a lot. So I have like a sense of what makes sense. But then in college, when I started being, you know, exposed to more terminology, I was like, do I really know what like an adjective like really is, let alone these more complicated things. Anyway, something like that, where it's like, I did fine not knowing that stuff because I was always able to look it up if I needed to. And I could like get close enough with my learned experience.
1: I don't know if you meant to absolutely tee me up for a working title pitch, (laughs) (laughs) but that's something that we talk about in that program because I, as a writing coach, I like working with beginner writers who may be just had an idea for a novel, but they don't know how to make it work or they've always written nonfiction and now they want to do fiction, things like that. So people who are sort of like, I'm not entirely sure and I think I need an adult. I'm like, great, because you're going to get a very chaotic adult and I love that for you. It's me. And I jump out of the dumpster and I say, it's a first draft, so you can do whatever you want. And I love it so much. (laughs) If it was that simple, anybody would be doing it. Right. But some of the things that have come up And even me, so you know, coaches have coaches. So, my book coach, when they read through my manuscript, they were identifying like when I would change point of view. And I had never picked up on that ever like that I would suddenly talk about what this like other sort of NPC character was thinking or feeling. And my coach was like, We don't know this. That's in their head. You're not in their POV. And so, then I get to go teach about POV.
0: I don't know. I think autistic people might actually know.
1: (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. (laughs) And my main character is, of course, autistic. Yeah. And now I notice it so much more. But it's also not the be all end all. Like you can still tell your story and get it across, especially in a first draft, which is what working title is about. It's about finishing the first draft. So something that we we get into a lot is you don't have to know if that comma is in exactly the right spot. Please do not derail your entire writing day because of the comma. If you're like, do I need a semicolon or an M dash? That's great. We have a workshop about that. You can go watch it, but don't let it derail your whole day.
0: Yeah. Well, and also that like the output part is a separate part of the brain than the editing part. At least that's mm. true for a lot of other yeah. types of art.
1: Yeah, that is zesty. <laughs> that <laughs> that is good. And yeah, when you're like switching back and forth and being like, "Oh, is the grammar perfect? Does this wording make sense?" Like just kind of bleh the story out. That's your goal right now. And it it's very freeing to let go of having to know all the rules. Yeah. So I love that.
0: I love that too. Yeah, so I'm just going to shamelessly talk about how I was like, I have this idea for a sci-fi novel that I'm really excited about. And I was like, I'm gonna draft it this year, which is why I was excited about working title. Cause I'm like, I know I would love working with you. This all looks awesome. And I like, I just took on some other projects and I was looking at everything that I have on my plate. And I was like, I am gonna make the sane adult choice right now and not try to write another book. Cause I'm also self-publishing a nonfiction book next month. <laughs> <laughs> like, Congrats. Thank you. So I'm like actively working on that. And my brain is so like, so unrealistic about what I can do in part, because I do have these like occasional access to superpowers and like being able to get into flow and like, you know, having a lot of, and having the ability to let out a first draft and knowing that like, it is possible for me to do this. But like, mm-hmm. to go back to one of my favorite Bible verses from childhood, I absolutely, I still love and think about this all the time. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Ooh. Paul said that in, you know, some translation. And I was just like, oh, fuck. like, <laughs> yeah, Dang, I hate it when the Bible calls you out, but like that for me and, and, you know, to put it, it a bit more modernly, another thing I tell myself a lot is just because I can, doesn't mean I should.
1: <laughs> that is why but, I got sterilized.
0: Oh, my God. For real. I I
1: was like, I'd be a great parent. I don't think I want to. Yeah. And then I wrestled with that for like three years. And then I was like, snip, snip, bitch. So I can't have kids now.
0: And I'm glad that I did that because like the purely like watching my friends who have, uh, you know, the ability to procreate and are reaching their mid 30s and are just like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And I'm like, this is just your ovaries talking, man. You really don't got to.
1: Yeah. That's really fair. I used to really want to, I tried to get pregnant for 18 months with my abusive ex-husband. Oof. So glad that didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. And like letting go of that was really hard because I thought maybe I'll do a sperm donor thing and I'll just be a single mom. And then the more and more I have become myself, I'm like, I've only really gotten to be in charge of me for like the past five years. I cannot put a baby in this mix. Yeah. I don't, I would lose myself again. We're just, we're just going on adventures today.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I directly, like, I am just going to go ahead and compare your program or what I know of it to grad school because I went to grad school for composition and I specifically went to grad school for something similar to what you said, which is in my case, I want to be able to sit down and write a symphony. And I was like, I don't feel like I can do that. I feel like I have a lot of skills. I can write chamber music. Um, but I don't feel like I can sit down and like craft a large work and be able to hold it in my head and kind of like understand what I'm trying to say with it. And I think yeah. like that's a reason a lot of people are like, Oh, I have to go get a degree. And like, I am probably one of the few people who like actually thinks my degree was worth it. Like I actually got so, so much out of it and I'm happy I did it, even though I have hilarious amounts of debt that feel fake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the other, like, programs like yours, the reason that I was so drawn to it is because it's, it's that it's like, what I really want is this skill. And I know that I can get that skill through experience and being like directly led by somebody who understands your brain is, I don't even want to say a better way to do that. But for most people, I honestly think it probably is.
1: I would agree. (laughs) I (laughs) like, obviously, but I think I think that being ADHD like autistic and ADHD together
0: great transition
1: thanks <laughs> our brains work different they they simply do and I would say most of my writers are ADHD or at least ADHD and we, I also I just I'm a magnet for traumatized queer nerds so same i know it's just i just lean into it i love it come here babies group hug and a lot of us are like feeling through novelizing our trauma i forgave my mother after i wrote my first draft and i did not think that was humanly possible whatever happened in this lifetime i thought that was like some two or three lifetimes down the road karmic shit and i was like you know I have compassion for her. I understand what she was going through. It doesn't excuse her abuse, but I'm comfortable releasing it. I don't have to be mad all day. And I'm like, oh, okay. Novels can do that. That's great. That's cool. (laughs) So we've got our brains constantly processing. I'm also putting together a little workshop I'm calling Novel Parkour, which is where through the power of ADHD, we're just going to like parkour outline a novel in two hours. Because I think a lot of us think that our brains are bad or less effective at stuff. And it's like, sure, it's less effective at going to the office from nine to five and smiling in a meeting. But it's it, we can create whole worlds, really in-depth world building characters mm-hmm. because we notice and can like see, like you said, I know, I know what the the NPC is thinking and feeling <laughs> because their mouth twitched and I can read that, you know, we can really experience like a range of human emotion and put it onto the page. And so working title allows you to do that, to say like, I'm gonna write about this vague theme. And we've got some plotters who are like, I made a spreadsheet and some pantsers who are like, I just let the story tell me what I'm writing today and I'll figure out how it fits together later. Love that for them, but I am the spreadsheet queen monarch but it's hard it's hard to have a non-binary spreadsheet person doesn't matter captain captain the captain of spreadsheet i want like something alliterative that's why i keep getting Mm. stuck the spreadsheet seneschal i don't even know what that means swashbuckler i'm a pirate (laughs) keep all that in everybody gets to enjoy that
0: it's two Audi HD people at three thirty PM on a Thursday.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're doing great. I just had a cup of coffee. I feel great. I'm awesome. I'm bulletproof. So yeah. So we have all the whimsy, right? And then, and then there's like the writing. So are we doing sort of prose? Are we doing um, nonfiction? So I have some people working on like memoir. I have some people doing mm-hmm. fantasy, like a magical realm. I have some people doing sort of post apocalyptic. Rust Belt. Like it's Ohio, but with castles and everything that everybody is creating. I am astonished on a weekly basis. Like I leave every call and I want to go cry in the corner because everybody's so cool. And I love that. I love that. We just get to be so creative and everybody's gaining confidence because they're around people who are going through the same thing in their brains, in the writing practice, and we get to support each other. So it's not It's not just me coaching. It's a very peer supportive group as well.
0: I love that. I am more and more leaning toward that, both in what I'm looking for and what I want to create, because like, for example, just, just in the creative process, right? The point where, so, you know, maybe you had some nice flow writing sessions and you've got some stuff that you were excited about the moment where you look at everything and go, oh my God, is this entire thing just a total steaming pile of bullshit that has to be thrown out and start over everybody experiences that. But if you don't have that reflected around you, you wouldn't know that you'd just be like, Oh no, maybe I'm just bad.
1: Yes. Yes. That's actually in, in all of my emails that go out, right. Where I'm like, join working title, blah, blah, blah. I have an FAQ email and I address the question, like, could I work with you one-on-one? And the answer is Yes it's more expensive it's definitely more in depth like you and i meet face to face every week but here's why a group is better for this and just like what you said so when one person asks a question in a group coaching call everybody gets coached on that when one person submits their work for critique and we all read it and we all get to sort of show up and say i liked this part this part was confusing like we all Learn from that. And we all learn like, oh, that's POV. Oh, I really like the way that he worded that. I wonder if I could put some more pros like that into my work. Like it's very, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's so supportive because just like you said, if you are in a vacuum and you're like, this sucks, it's terrible and you don't have 10 other people around you being like what on earth are you talking about? Like first of all, I get it, hugs for you, but secondly, your book slaps. Like don't you dare burn that or I will I will hunt you down and haunt you. That's very supportive. It's very good. We have one writer, he like he had never shown his book to anybody except his wife before he joined. And now like there's a Google doc to his complete manuscript in our group and anybody can read it. And he's starting to actually accept compliments, which is his work in the world. Yay. I love that for him.
0: I do too. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I love this focus on working with beginner writers because, I mean, I, (laughs) you know, I'm two degrees and 20 years in basically to a composition career. And I mean, not, you know, not that I had a career when I was 15, but I was, you know, I was writing Uh, and I still don't feel like I'm writing my, what I would consider like my mature work. I can feel that I'm still, you know, developing and sure you always keep developing and coming up with new things, but like, I I can feel that I'm still very much developing in terms of like being able to powerfully put across exactly what I'm trying to put across consistently. And, and that's like. So that's the other thing I feel like, you know, having that really nurturing, supportive stuff as you're more getting started makes it so much easier to stick with it in the long run because ultimately your first book is not your best book for almost anyone.
1: Like ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm sure that you saw the post. Like, I didn't read my published book for yeah, 4 years.
0: That's a great post. I can you just it- like walk us through that real quick?
1: Yes, absolutely. So my book is called The Gaslighting of the Millennial Generation. And it is about how millennials were raised being like, you can do anything. We're leaving this earth better than we found it for you. We want you to succeed. Tra la la. The world will be better when you enter the workforce. And then we get here and we're like, awesome. So <laughs> how about those living wages and stuff? And they're like, "Um, excuse me, you get a pizza party and shut up about it and i was like that's that's actually literally gaslighting like you're telling us that we're entitled poopy diaper pants participation trophy babies for wanting like a livable minimum wage do you do you see how this is absolute garbage so i wrote a book about it it's a real whole ass book and then i changed my mind on a couple things like i hedged my bets a little bit Because I wanted to not offend, which mm -mm, no, 2018 (laughs) Caitlin and 2023 Caitlin, two different Caitlins. Today I'm like, oh, if you're mad at me, that's awesome. Send me $5 and maybe I'll entertain talking to you. (laughs) I don't care if you don't like me. And I got one star reviews anyway from people who were mad I didn't talk about Gen X. And I'm like, great. Okay. So the book was not for you. And I also learned to take up all my space. But because I was embarrassed about those few things that I quote, got wrong in the book I really avoided it and I wasn't promoting it I didn't super talk about it and I wasn't proud of it I honestly felt a little ashamed of it and then I made myself read it again because I reached out to my publisher with the idea that maybe I could update a couple of those chapters in like the Kindle edition I'm like oh I never thought of that genius my book coach gave me that thank you Sam nice And in advance of this meeting with the publisher, I wanted to have a specific thing to fix. And I can't just be like, well, I don't know, some stuff. So I read it and I just kept laughing at myself because I'm like, that's a great point. That's a great point. That's hilarious. I am categorically correct. And I was like, except for like, I don't know, 5% of this, I stand behind everything in here. And so I I felt like I had all this wasted time where I was like, well, it wasn't perfect. So I can't talk about it. Yeah. And so now I'm like, hey, everybody, your first book might not be perfect. No book is ever going to be perfect. You should still write it and still take up that space.
0: Yeah. So that's the
1: condensed soup version of that journey.
0: Other thing I think about when I read, say, you know, books from the early, well, the 20th century. (laughs) general, any of it, uh, is like, yeah, it's not current to now, and a lot of things people wouldn't be saying, but it's usually it was probably helpful to people at that time. And like using the language of that time. And I know, I know five years isn't that long, but still like, yeah, we change a lot in five years. We learn I've learned a lot in the last five years, certainly. I did not know I was autistic five years ago. Me that either. About like, or I was
1: like barely three, there. Yeah, three,
0: four years ago was I was like four years ago I was like oh, okay maybe and then three years ago I was like okay this is it. This yeah, happening.
1: Same. My book says I'm a cis woman. Oh, <laughs> so,
0: there you go.
1: <laughs> Non-binary. I came out the same year it was published, like six mm-hmm. months later. Like, awesome. Yeah.
0: Oh. So, I i am really I've just been thinking about like my brain is super in ADHD land right now just like thinking about um for one thing I was searching for podcasts on it and I only found two podcasts with that in the title which is why I'm thinking about Well, I am in the process of starting a second podcast about that specifically, which bits of this may be on because part of what I'm trying to do with that also is explicitly intentionally make shorter episodes that are like really targeted and really accessible.
1: That's what I did when I transitioned to Neurodivergent Creative Podcast. I'm like, we're doing like 30 minutes tops. Yeah.
0: So. One of the things I've really been thinking about in my own experience, because I knew I was ADHD way before I knew I was autistic, like it was way more obvious, right? Like the external things of like not getting to meetings, like not buying groceries on a regular basis, or like, you know, having trouble with maintenance tasks in general, all that stuff was like, it's more external and other people notice it and comment on it. And I feel like for me, a lot of my autistic traits were more like people just thought they were my personality more than like with adhd there was a lot more of like oh you might have a problem when with autism it was more like wow you're really strange aren't you
1: (laughs) yeah that's a great point (laughs) because it is like personality you know it could Mm -hmm. just be like oh they're shy i was a shy kid guess why Mm -hmm. um all the clues were there in my childhood yeah same same like super obviously yeah Yeah. people are like oh you're so quirky like no my brain is different I'm running a different operating system
0: (laughs) yeah and one of the other things I've been noticing is as I've been and the way that I'm thinking about it is like as I'm integrating more of my healing like not that I'm like quote getting healthier but that I'm like integrating more things and like able to handle more, expanding my capacity, et cetera, like all of these things as they're happening. Uh, Cause I also, you know, had slash have complex PTSD, but it's like way, way, way better. So yeah. as that so, got better, I was like, oh, I had been told by a neuropsych tester that maybe my ADHD symptoms would lessen or go away. They did not. Right. So that's how, you know, that it's just part of my brain now. Uh, but the other thing that I did notice is that as the PTSD got better and some of the like, uh, I don't know, I I just as I sort of feeling a lot better, one of the things I started to notice is that I feel like some of my autistic and ADHD symptoms almost cancel each other out in certain ways. And I don't see anybody talking about this. I'm sure people are thinking about it, but like I'm not seeing it like, you know, a high level because this In the 90s, you couldn't even be diagnosed with both. It it was considered that if you had one, you could not be diagnosed with the other. It was an either or. These are two different. Meanwhile, it's estimated that potentially up to 70% of autistic people also have ADHD.
1: I totally believe that. Yeah.
0: So it's like, (laughs) anyway. uh, But one of the things I've noticed, for example, is like I used to get things done, like my ADHD brain or part or whatever. Would get things done basically through pure adrenaline and anxiety and I felt safer in movement anyway. So I just stayed super busy, did a ton of stuff. And then as that kind of started to fall away, then I started really having trouble with scheduling and all this stuff. Cause I was just like, oh, I'm not being run by adrenaline anymore. But then my, I feel like now my autistic, like desire for routine is making up for what my anxiety was purely doing before. (laughs) So anyway, this is a a very, very big topic, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot is how like, and, and then because of that, like if I were starting in this place, I might just be like, you know what? I don't know if I'm ADHD or autistic because of this interesting interplay where it's like, they're both kind of, or or even like ADHD impulsiveness, helping me be more social in times when I otherwise would not, would not. But it's like, whoop! too late. I already said the thing I was thinking. So I guess we're having yeah. a conversation now.
1: <laughs> I always admired about my mother that she could go out to a restaurant and like come back and be like, I made new friends at the restaurant. And I was like, you talk to people, but I sometimes do it too. And I don't know why it's not like all the time. Like I will not start a conversation with anybody. Like I have to feel something. I don't know this, we, we went out for hibachi like last week and the last person to be seated at our, you know, like hibachi grill table thing, which first of all, we have to be like, okay, how much do we want hibachi food versus how much do we want to sit with a bunch of strangers? And the food always wins. Like we go to hibachi. And this one guy came in and was seated. And I was like, that man decided I want hibachi. I'm not taking any friends, just me and hibachi. Like, I don't care who I sit next to. And I was like, I am fascinated with this man. And we, I wanted to like talk to him right away. I was like, you took yourself out for for hibachi. You're my hero. I love you. Give it to me. I want that. And we didn't end up talking. But at the end, like when people were starting to leave and we got like, you know, the fortune cookies and stuff, we struck up a conversation and it was just really interesting. And I think he may have also been autistic because he was he kept referencing like memes that I knew or like viral tweets that I knew right like he would like to say make a joke and I'm like yeah I read that tweet too and so I'm like did I like did the autism in me recognize the autism in him like do we have like a namaste moment and I just think that's really interesting that I was just like "Mm, that guy
0: I had that happen once in passing. And it was funny because I then, you know, posted on Facebook about it and people were like, how could you tell? And I was like, I was walking and I was stimming while I was walking. I was like doing a visible stim. And this guy that I was walking past just gave, and the thing that I can most obviously connect it to is like the trans or and or queer head nod. It was like that, but it was for the, I assume, the stimming. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he didn't give me big queer vibes. It was just like, Anyway, I just like, I was like, oh, that was so cool. He clocked me and like acknowledged, and we had this extremely tiny moment.
1: I love that. The um, I went to Chipotle yesterday to get myself birthday lunch, and the cashier said, Caitlin Fisher, and I said, yes. And they were like, oh, I'm Angel, I read at your book launch, and I was like, oh. AJ cuz that's their name on Facebook and they were like yeah and i'm like great like i felt like i knew you but i didn't know if it was your queer vibes or if i actually knew cuz i don't know big colorful glasses i was like that's a queer person <laughs> and i i've had that moment like a few other times like a another queer person one time i was like walking to the bathroom in a grocery store and they were like i love your outfit and i'm like thanks and we just then we became friends on Facebook cuz queers recognize queers Yep. I love that for us. I love like the head nod, like the Jeep wave.
0: (laughs) It was so great. Yeah. And then the other kind of thing I've been processing for myself around this, like this has been really interesting is my partner who I live with is on the spectrum, but not ADHD and actually has like really good executive function and can just do things in like a way that I find genuinely shocking all the time. Um, But what I realized was most of where our disconnects were is around my ADHD-ness. They find my fire hose of external verbal processing totally overwhelming. Like literally one time I was talking and they just like covered their mouth with their hands. I was like, are you okay? They're like, I'm a little overwhelmed right now. And I was just like, yeah.
1: Man, that's relatable. So I have found there's like two types of adhd behavior around like working and distraction. Mm -hmm. So I can't even listen to music with words. If I'm working, it's gotta be ambient lo-fi or like video game music or something instrumental. I cannot pay attention if there's TV on or if someone's talking to me. My partner is not, not the same. He can do five things at once. And he's also autistic and ADHD discovered after he started dating me. Because I don't know, he stimmed or something, or he, you know, communicated to me in a movie reference. And I was like, you know, you're autistic, right? And he's like, what? (laughs) And that set him free. And now he's like, oh, it's the autism. Oh, I love it. So that's delightful. And he's on ADHD meds, which have improved his life enormously. But he was talking to me while I was working on something. And I like physically like recoiled from my work and like turned to face him. Because I couldn't do both. And it was, everything was gibberish. I had gibberish coming in my eyes. I had gibberish coming in my ears. And so I picked one and I picked him. And then he was worried that I was mad because it was like such a, such a jarring transition for me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just like, I just had to pick one. Yeah. So, but I had a roommate who like would just have the office running, like playing on Netflix while she worked. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can do
0: that. Yeah. I had a, another funny conversation recently because I love telling people who identify with HSP, you know, highly sensitive person. I love telling them they're autistic. I feel like it's just like autism for older white women. (laughs) Like,
1: oh my God,
0: that's what it is. Here's the thing within that definition. There's an additional mini definition you can take, which is high sensory seeking. So HSP, Mm. high sensory seeking. I'm like, that's ADHD. Mm. not that every ADHD person is high sensory seeking, but like, and not necessarily right. Like, cause some autistic people are also sensory seeking and like, you know, like for example, the type of person who wants to like stand in front of the speaker on full blast and likes the physical sensation. Right. Yeah, So it's those extremes. But I was just like, somebody was describing this and I was like, that just sounds like an ADHD person who has high, like wants a lot of pressure stimulation like interest yeah. all the time like just a lot of stuff
1: that's wild it's so interesting and i think that that's another sort of audi hd superpower is like seeing like well that's obviously just audi hd over there seeing with the a, pattern with yeah a, with a hat on um i think that's what makes me such a good coach for people too is i can make like a metaphor out of anything i can connect the dots yeah so i I did a workshop on, it's called Level Up Your Trauma Recovery. It's about like viewing yourself as a character in an RPG, sort of seeking trauma healing and like thinking of yourself as like a level one.
0: Oh my God, I love this.
1: Oh, it's freaking fantastic. It's in its like third iteration now. I'm thinking about running it this year just because it's fun. So I'll let you know. But um, the first time I ever ran it, there were only two people there. There was one teacher who works with kids and like wanted to be able to like connect with the kids in different ways so like he came to sort of like learn about trauma and then this other guy who had PTSD from a car accident and as we were talking he mentioned that one time like he and his wife had a fight while they were driving and there was another time he like almost got hit by a, a truck or something and i said so like all all of those traumas happened in a car and he was like i never realized that like he thought it was one trauma in a car mm-hmm. and then i pointed out he had like three or four traumas in a car and blew his mind and i'm like i thought that was obvious like that's another that's another part of it right of being like yeah like of course it's stressful cuz all of this happened
0: and somebody's like holy crap and i'm like oh i'm sorry
1: i thought that you knew
0: that happens to me a lot. I'm like, I only said this out loud because I thought that's what we were talking about and that you explicitly knew what we were talking about. But okay,
1: great. Yeah. Like I I have a friend who will hit my DMs like once every, I don't know, four months or so. and be like, I think I might be on the spectrum. And I'm like, I already sent your welcome kit. Like I thought you knew.
0: People ask me, I'm, I'm getting to the point where people ask me pretty frequently if I think they're autistic. And I usually say, you know, I could see it or like, you know, it seems like, yeah, that could be something worth exploring, but like kind of a, you know, middle of the road answer, Mm -hmm. unless I assume they already know, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's so obvious. And then I'm just like, yeah, obviously like, Yeah. yeah, but it's not right. Like, that's the other thing I try to keep in mind as somebody with an information sponge brain is like, it is so easy to forget. What you used to not know, mm-hmm. intellectually, I remember that there were times that I did not know these things. But emotionally, like remembering being the person who didn't know these things, like that's just not an experience I have access to. So it can be really, really hard for me to genuinely connect with like someone who is in their journey of figuring something out that to me is super obvious because I've already done the journey myself, but the people have to come through that themselves. Yeah. They have to cuz otherwise it's just an external label and not you know fully meaningful or fully I mean integrated comes back to mind again right like it has to be integrated with their own experience.
1: That makes so much sense. I I think about things like that as sort of like software patches. Like <laughs> like when I learn that somebody has like a food allergy, right? Like I file that away and I yeah. I call it comfort algebra. So like (laughs) when I'm meal planning, I'm like, they're allergic to peppers. Nobody in this house except me likes the texture of beans. He doesn't like tomato based soups, So like chili is out. I barely eat chili anymore. (laughs) They have taken chili from me. And, but like, I know like people's preferences. And so when I'm doing the grocery order, I'm like, well, I'll get some of these chips. I'll get Nilla wafers. Like I'll pick up some puddings. Like I know stuff that everybody likes. And I just keep that in sort of like a little mental Rolodex and then I do my comfort algebra and not everybody does this or even sees it as like no. a thing that like they want to have. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But basically I sort of thought that my comfort algebra thing was like maybe a burden or like extra labor that I was taking on, but I have come to appreciate it. I think because I like that. It makes me really good at like giving gifts or noticing things that we're going to need. And while I, that used to be used for evil, right? Like in abusive marriages and stuff where like, I was the only one responsible for noticing when we were out of stuff, lest I be punished or blamed for something like it's, it's this really beautiful thing now. And it, I like to think it helps people.
0: Yeah, I think it does. And I have the same thing in my head, which is that my brain catalogs large quantities of information about people's likes and dislikes and preferences. I'm not great with names, (laughs) but like once my brain has put someone in as like a person that I'm categorizing information about, it takes in a huge amount of information. And, and I remember it, which is the other super interesting thing. I think again, about like the ADHD autistic overlap in particular is like, It's not just, oh, I don't remember things or like, oh, I can't remember things. I can remember things that are interesting and important to my brain. And for example, my brain has just decided that names are not that important, which is super, super embarrassing. Like I I can do it. I do better actually with internet friends who use their real names on the internet because then I like see it over and over and over and that helps. But then if they change
1: their profile picture
0: there are people I've known for a really long time who use like a random name. And I'm just like, I, I could, even in my head, I don't, I'm not thinking about this person with any name. I'm just like, no name person who is lump of facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. um, so what I was thinking about the comfort algebra thing too, is I had a client who uh, does the same thing, like catalogs this information, does very thoughtful things for people and was like, why do my partners never do this for me? And I was like, they, I think their brains just don't work that way. I don't think it's like a specific slight or that they don't want to. I think they literally can't. And that's been true of most people I've dated that they just can't catalog the pure data points (laughs) that I do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's important to talk about that too. So this may be the most autistic thing I've said so far, but I have a PowerPoint about how to love me. And I gave it to Brennan when we started dating and it has like a breakdown of like all the love languages and like how I liked <laughs> like, cause I have certain preferences about like how I liked to be touched Yeah, and like, don't touch my bare skin if I'm sweaty because I get angry Sensory overload. Terrible. And like, I love gifts, but I don't like just like a Bath and Body Works gift set kind of gift. Like, I want you to get me something fucking really weird that made you think of me. And if you don't have that, then like, I would rather you just give me a hug and take me out to dinner. Don't, don't give me bullshit gifts. But other people love bullshit gifts. They're not bullshit to them. And I'm like, but I got you this very specific Jesus on a Velociraptor poster. Because I knew that you would love it. And so like my housemate, Kiri, I literally did give her a Jesus on a Velociraptor poster for her birthday. She was like, this is perfect. (laughs) And she brought me a dozen vegan cupcakes yesterday, each one a different flavor. Nice. And I'm like, oh, I get to make choices. (laughs) And like, those are the kind of gifts that I totally love because they're cataloged as a bunch of random data points.
0: I love it. Okay. Let's wrap up for time. Okay. I am, I don't know. I'm like, it's also, you know, that point in the afternoon when my brain is like,
1: I know, I'm hungry. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, it's hunger. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, reminder
1: food is important.
0: Yeah, I am super, super excited that there are more practitioners and like artists and people talking about ADHD openly and like in specific detail and being vulnerable about their own experiences, because honestly, like I feel a lot like when I discovered that genderqueer existed, I was like, you fucking kidding me. I would have, I would have said I was this when I was 10, if I knew it existed, <laughs> like if I'd heard people talking about the ADHD overlap way earlier, I could have avoided so much suffering. So yeah, and
1: confusion ugh. like why am I yeah. the way that I am? I'm so broken. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know either of mine until I was like 30. Like autistic, ADHD, fibromyalgia. Like I got I got every diagnosis in my 30s. And I was like, "Oh, crap. Okay, it's I've stopped masking, and that makes me a terrible employee." Yeah.
0: Same.
1: <laughs> Cuz I stopped I I just stopped. I was like, I can't, I can't babysit you anymore. I cannot show up in business cash and like pretend that I give a shit about this meeting. It's gone. It's all gone. I found out I'm autistic and I let go of it. And that was very freeing for me, but it was necessitated being a business owner Yep. because I can't work in corporate culture anymore.
0: Yeah. I, I never was great at it, honestly, but yeah. I
1: I killed it. I was great until I was like, mm, can't sustain this anymore. The yeah. software patch was like, oh, we're taking corporate out. You don't need corporate anymore. And I'm like, oh, boom, power down. Mm. Uh, so now I just get to be a little chaotic gremlin on the internet and coach people.
0: Yay. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of, again, this is a huge topic, but like, I think a lot of ADHD people end up becoming entrepreneurial because they have that, like they can get into you know, enough of a hyper-focused state to like do something periodically, even if they're tired sometimes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and are having trouble getting a career going for reasons maybe unbeknownst to them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That makes so much sense. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm super, super excited that you are here, like being yourself and being awesome and making cool art and helping other people make cool books. So Thank you. I'm happy Yay. about you
1: doing all those things
0: too. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, I think we both like f- fan and be over each other. Yeah.
0: Which I love. <laughs> so I
1: like, Oh my God, they want me on their podcast again. And you're like, Oh my God, Caitlin's here. And I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. This is good for <laughs> both of us.
0: I love that. Yeah. And then the other, like, I don't know, this is my kind of little parting thought is, you know, just hearing the two of us. You know, people who are listening, hearing the two of us doing cool stuff that we're excited about, taking care of our bodies and our brains, very much doing this imperfectly and just kind of like making shit up and iterating over and over, because that's what it is, right? Like (laughs) the path to success is failure.
1: (laughs) It is. It is. Once you get over that hurdle, yeah, like great.
0: (laughs) And just like, you know, that this is a really possible thing eventually with support and help like this is not just like if we can do it, you can do it this is a like hey look we're doing different things in a different way but also we have a lot of similarities and like we're doing pretty good i'm pretty happy overall yeah same and i think a lot of that is just like knowing what the fuck is up when my brain is not in a good state it's a lot easier for me to just be like okay brain like i give you a little pat and you can have a nap and a snack but like (laughs) we're simply not engaging with this yeah oh cool all right well we will put your links in the title do you want to like say where people can find you um
1: yes so if you're interested in working title you can go to workingtitlestudio.com. that'll take you to the wait list right now and then enrollment's going to open in may which is so soon oh, uh so at in may that link will take you to the buying page but because i do cool stuff with urls and redirects it's fine uh you can find me on instagram at caitlin liz fisher and that's that's pretty much it right now. My podcast is The Narrow Divergent Creative Podcast, and my book is The Gaslighting of the Millennial Generation. And I will give all of those links to Mattia.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, and have a great week. You too. Thanks for having me. Yay. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.